You know, one of my favourite movies, and one of maybe the most profoundest movies of all times, is the movie Toy Story. You may have seen that movie. If you're a parent, then you've definitely seen that movie. The two main characters of Toy Story are Woody the Cowboy and Buzz Lightyear. When the movie opens, we have Woody the Cowboy, and he is the undisputed leader of Andy's toys. He protects the toys. He looks after the toys. He's the leader of the toys. However, it isn't far into the movie that Buzz Lightyear comes on the scene, and Buzz challenges Woody's leadership. And Woody is filled with jealousy, he's filled with rage, and he ends up doing something that he later regrets. He knocks Buzz out of the window and down into the garden below, and he finds himself isolated from the rest of the toys. Now, Buzz Lightyear is dealing with his own issues as well. He thinks that he is a real space ranger. He thinks, in fact, that he is the real Buzz Lightyear, going to infinity and beyond. But one day, he gets a reality check. He watches an ad on TV and he sees all these Buzz Lightyear toys and he realizes the truth. He looks down at himself, he examines his parts and he realizes that he's just a toy. But in one last ditch effort to maintain his delusion, he jumps off the second story balcony to fly, to go infinity and beyond. But then reality pulls him down and he crashes on the floor. Next, we see Buzz Lightyear, and he's out of his mind, depressed, and drinking tea with Mrs. Nesbitt. <laughs> you know, what is going on with these toys? I put forward to you that they're dealing with issues of identity. Who am I? What is my purpose in life? Where does my security come from? For Woody, his security came from the fact that he was the leader of the toys. But when that was questioned, he found himself crossing boundaries that he never thought he would. For Buzz Lightyear, his identity came from the fact that he thought he was a real, uh, a real space ranger going to infinity and beyond. But when the truth of who he really was became apparent to him, he found himself filled with depression and anxiety. You see, Toy Story really is a profound movie. It forces us to ask ourselves some profound questions of where our identity in life comes from, of what we are living for, of where our security in life comes comes from. You know, if our role in life is questioned, we can find ourselves doing things and saying things that we never thought we'd do and say. Or like Buzz Lightyear, if our identity is built upon an illusion, when the truth becomes apparent, we can find ourselves filled with anxiety and fear. So just think about it for a second. Where does your sense of identity come from? What are you living for? Where does your security in life come from? Well, that's what we're going to have a look at this morning. And Jesus often dealt with this in his teaching. And we're going to have a look at a particular teaching of Jesus that's found in the writings of an early follower of Jesus called Luke. Now, Luke was a doctor, and Luke went about to set about to put together an, a, a biography of Jesus's life. He was a meticulous sort of person, so he, he, he got together eyewitnesses, and he got together manuscripts, and he put together an accurate biography of Jesus's life that's found its way into the Bible called Luke's Gospel. And in Luke chapter 12, we see Jesus talking about issues of identity and security in life. And we're going to look at three things that Jesus uh, does. Firstly, Jesus, um, he surfaced a common source of identity and security that many people look to in life. 
Secondly, Jesus challenged that common source of identity as to whether it was valid. And finally, Jesus offered an alternative vision for life. So that's what we're going to look at this morning, how Jesus surfaced a source of identity and security that many people look to, then how Jesus challenged that source of identity and security, and finally we're going to see how Jesus offers an alternative vision for life. So where should our identity and security come from in life? Well, let's have a look at how Jesus surfaced a common source of identity and security that many people look to in life. Now, on this particular occasion... There were thousands of people coming to hear Jesus speak. Jesus was a remarkable teacher. We know from writings outside of the Bible that many people would come to hear what Jesus had to say. In fact, Luke says that there were so many thousands of people coming to hear what Jesus had to say that they were trampling on each other. Now, Jesus wasn't just giving out some puffy, light, spiritual platitudes like, conquer your fear or your fear will conquer you. No, Jesus, he was speaking about some really weighty spiritual topics. For example, he said to his followers, don't fear those who can just kill you physically. You know who you should fear? You should fear, the, you should fear God because he holds your eternal destiny in his hands. Some pretty weighty spiritual topics, right? And you can just imagine all these thousands of people surrounding Jesus and his followers, and they're all listening in to try and hear what Jesus has to say. And then one man, one man over the top of the crowd, he yells out these words. He says, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. What is this guy thinking? I mean, here is Jesus, one of the most remarkable men who has ever lived, one of the most remarkable teachers who's ever lived. And all this guy can think about is the inheritance, is think about money. It would sort of be like having five minutes with Albert Einstein and asking him if he could add up your Telstra bill. That's what it would have been like. Here's this remarkable teacher, Jesus, and all this guy can think about is the inheritance. And Jesus turns to this man and he says, that's not why I've come. I haven't come to be a judge. I haven't come to settle disputes between people. That's not the purpose of me coming. And then he turns to his followers and here's where Jesus surfaces a common source of security and identity that many people look to in life. He says to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. For a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. You see, Jesus has correctly discerned that the reason why this man was willing to yell out in front of the crowd and get his attention is because he was worried about money. But where did that worry come from? It came from the fact that this man's security, get this, this man's identity was found in wealth. You see, a common source for people's security and identity in the world in which we live is wealth. Many people think, if I'm just wealthy, then I'm secure. If I hit the jackpot, if I won the lotto, then I would be secure in life. Jesus surfaces a common source of identity and security, namely that of wealth. You know, I had a few friends a few years ago, and they were hoping to, to own their part of the Australian dream. And so like many young couples, you know what they did? They, they saved hard and they 
found the perfect house in the perfect neighborhood. And they bought this house. But then, you know what happened in the 2000s? The uh, interest rates went up and this couple found it very, very hard to pay for their bills. And they came into mortgage stress. And uh, they were fighting like cats and dogs as a couple. They, they, they were having troubles with their family, with their children. And uh, it was all because this huge mortgage that they had. But when it was suggested to them that all they needed to do was just sell their house and get a rental property, they severely protested. They wouldn't do it. Their mortgage was making them miserable, but they just couldn't part with it. Do you know, that story is repeated time and time again in the lives of Australians. Maybe that's your story here today. You you know, we as Australians are proud of many things. We're we're often very proud of our sporting accomplishments, aren't we? We're often very proud of our cricket team. Probably not at the moment, but usually we're pretty proud of our sporting achievements. But one thing that we shouldn't be proud of as Australians is we have now overtaken the U.S., in the amount of personal debt that each individual adult owes. According to Reserve Bank figures that I looked at uh, in January 2010, we overtook the US in the amount of personal debt that each individual Australian adult owes. Now each individual Australian adult owes $56,000 each, as opposed to each individual uh, adult in the US who only owes $44,000. Uh, if you add up all the mortgages, personal debts, personal loans, it comes to $1.3 trillion, up uh, 73% from just five years ago. We as Australians are spending more, are accumulating more, are going after more and more stuff. And I put forward to you, it's because of this. Because the central assumption of living in Western culture is that life is about accumulating wealth so you can be secure. Now, maybe you're sitting there and saying, well, Timon, that's not me, you know. I'm not a very materialistic person. And, of course, we all live for various different things, don't we? Uh, You know, I'm not saying that it's an easy issue. But just check your heart for a second. When an unexpected bill comes your way, where does your heart go? When the Reserve Bank announces that they're going to raise interest rates, What happens on the inside? Uh, When the Prince of Nigeria sends you an email promising to give you $1 million, (laughs) if you just pay him 200 first, do you secretly wish that this is true? You see, one of the central assumptions of living in Western society is that life is about accumulating wealth. And once you are wealthy, then you are secure then you've made it as a person. Now, Jesus, he goes on to challenge this common source of security and identity in people. And I love Jesus because Jesus was a remarkable teacher. He was a remarkable teacher and he taught through story. And he goes on to tell the story that Andrew read out this morning. He says, there was a ground of a certain rich man and it produced good crops. He thought to himself, what should I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, oh, I've got it. This is what I'm going to do. I will build, tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and uh, all my goods. And I'll say to myself, 
Self, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. You see, what this, what this guy was thinking was, I've hit the jackpot. I've made money. I can tear down my barns. I can build bigger ones. Now I'm secure. I can just eat, drink, and be merry. I have made it in life. Do you know what Jesus said? He goes on to say, God said to this man, you fool, tonight your life will be required of you. You see, the problem with looking to wealth for your security and identity is this, is wealth cannot give you security over the ultimate issues of life. Wealth cannot help you restore your broken relationships. Money cannot heal you of your critical illness. And money can do nothing to save you on the day of your death. And that's an ultimate issue that all of us are going to have to face one day. And so why Jesus is realistic and says, uh, money can give you a measure of security, it can't give you ultimate security. Do you know, growing up, one of the favorite, my favorite games to play was the game of Monopoly. Who here liked playing Monopoly growing up? Yeah, great game, bought out by Mattel. Fantastic game, right? And I love playing Monopoly. I'd play with my brothers and sisters. And, and as I was playing Monopoly, I, I, but I never felt, really felt secure playing Monopoly. I don't know about you, because I was anxious the whole time because I was trying to race around the board and, and purchase all the properties, especially Pall Mall, because Pall Mall was a really good one, purchased all the properties before my brothers and sisters, right? And I learned, there's a couple of things I learned about playing Monopoly. Here's the first one. If you want to win at Monopoly, you know what you've got to do? You've got to cheat, all right? You've got to cheat. And man, I learned how to cheat. I could cheat like the best of them, right? And I cheated often, and I soon became the best person at Monopoly in my whole family. I was the best at Monopoly. But you know, the second thing that I learned was this, is that once I owned everything, once I had all the hotels and all the houses and all the electric companies, or my opponents had given up, which was usually the case, once I had become king of the world, once I'd become that, I realized something. Do you know what I realized? That once the game's over, it all goes back in the box. All the hotels, all the houses, all the companies, all the money goes back in the box. My owning it was just an illusion. And I just want to share with you today that that is the ultimate reality of life. No matter what you accumulate in this life, it will all go back in the box. You can take none of it with you. And so if you look to wealth, for your identity and security, ultimately you will be disappointed. And there will come a day when you will face the ultimate reality that your game, the game of life, will be over and will you be ready on that day? Well, Jesus then offers us an alternative vision of living. And maybe, as Ian shared this morning, you'd never been to church and You'd never heard about this alternative vision of life. 
But Jesus has an alternative vision for living for every single individual. I just want to read it out to you. This is Jesus' alternative vision of life. He says, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about what you're going, about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food, and your body more than clothes. Jesus goes on to say, just as God looks after the birds in the sky and he feeds those birds, he can feed you. Just as God looks after the flowers and he clothes the flowers, God can look after you. And Jesus goes on to say this. He says, and do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink or do not worry about it. For the world runs after all such things and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom and these things will be given to you. Jesus' vision of life is one in which you don't have to worry about stuff. You don't have to worry about clothing, about what you're going to eat. Now, Jesus is not saying that you shouldn't work. The Bible, of course, upholds the value of hard work. And and Jesus isn't suggesting that we don't put together personal budgets. Of course, you have to be wise in the way that you manage your finances. But at the core reality of your life, Jesus is saying this. Rather than life being about accumulating wealth so you can be secure, Jesus is saying that life is about being in a right relationship with God where God holds your life in his hands. As Ian said, being a Christian doesn't mean that you won't have troubles and heartaches and problems, but it's knowing that you're in a right relationship with God and that God is holding your life in his hands. And then you don't have to worry about life. You don't have to be anxious about life. You don't have to be like the man in the story who's trying to get Jesus' attention because he thinks that his brother has stolen the inheritance from him. You don't have to worry because you can be free. You know, Corrie Ten Boom was an amazing lady who lived through the First and Second World Wars of last century. And her and her family, uh, they did a very amazing thing. They were in... Uh, they lived in Holland, and what they would do is they would hide um, Jewish people, and they would also hide members of the Dutch underground in a special room in their house called the hiding place. And this amazing family rescued hundreds of Jewish people uh, from death during the Second World War. And um, but one day, uh, through a Nazi informant, the Gestapo came knocking at their door. And they carried off uh, Corey and her whole family. And they took her to a concentration camp. Now, just eight days later, Corey's dad, who was an old man and very frail, he died. Fortunately, Corey's younger sister, her younger brother, and her cousin, younger cousin, they were all released. But things for Corey and her sister, Betsy, got worse. They were taken off to Ravensbrück, one of the worst concentration camps in Nazi Germany. Now, I looked up Ravensbrück on Wikipedia just to find out what it was all about. And Wikipedia said that it was one of the worst concentration camps where many people were gassed, they were shot, and they starved to death. And in that concentration camp, Betsy, Corey's sister, died about six months into the the ordeal. So there was Corey Tamboon. Her life had been taken from her. Her family had been taken from her, starving in a concentration camp. 
But Corey Ten Boom wrote these words on reflection upon that time after she got out of the camp. She said, If you look to the world, you will be disappointed. If you look in yourself, you will be depressed. But if you look to God, you will find rest. You see, Corey Tamboom discovered something that they could take her life, they could take her family, they could starve her, they might even kill her. But yet, because she was rightly related to God and she knew God, God was holding her life in his hands. Isn't that amazing? And this is the vision that Jesus has for people, that people would come back to a right relationship with God where God would hold their lives in his hands. Now, how do we embrace Jesus' vision of life? How do we come back into a right relationship with God? Well, many people think that it's about doing good things, that if I just do enough good things, my good things will outweigh my bad things, and therefore God will accept me and welcome me into heaven when I die. But people have this idea of, of these scales, right? That God has these big set of scales in the sky and he, he weighs up your good things and he weighs up your bad things and if your good things outweigh your bad things then God's going to accept you and let you into heaven. But I want to show you why I think that that is not true and it actually goes against the teaching of the Bible. Uh, let me just show you this diagram. Tim, if you just want to put it up there on the screen. Let's just say this is a diagram of all the people who have ever lived. Okay, there's going to be a lot more dots than, than this, all right? All the dots represent... Uh, single individual people. And on one side, we have MT, which is Mother Teresa, right? Now, if anybody was deserved to go to hell, uh, to heaven, sorry, on the basis of her good works, it would be Mother Teresa who worked with orphans in Calcutta. So, we have Mother Teresa on the other side. Now, on the other side, we have Hitler. If anyone deserved, you know, God's judgment, it would be Hitler because of all the bad atrocities that he committed in our world. But you and I, we're probably somewhere in the middle. Let's see the next slide there, Tim. Just say that on one side there is you and on one side there is me. Now, where is God going to draw the line? Because God has to draw a line and say, this is enough good works that I'm going to accept and I'm going to let you into a right relationship with me. Now, what if God drew the line right there between you and me? And just because you did one extra good work, or I did one thing bad, would that be fair? Would that be a fair system? Now, you see, what the Bible teaches is actually this. The Bible teaches that God is perfect and we're all under the judgment of God. We've all done bad things in the eyes of God and because God is perfect, we're all cut off from knowing God, both now in this life and in the life to come. But here's the great message of the Bible. The great message of the Bible is that God sent Jesus. And Jesus came and he paid for all of our sin. He took all of the judgment upon himself when he died on the cross. And then he rose again, proving that that payment was sufficient, that that payment was enough. So how do you come into a right relationship with God? It's not through doing good things, but it's through trusting in what Jesus alone has done for you. A couple of months ago, I saw this amazing story 
on uh, Current Affair. Uh, there was this couple and they were struggling for many years to, um, to have children. Uh, like many couples in Australia, they, they were struggled with infertility and, and they were well along into their 30s and they're just struggling to have children. And then one day, uh, the wife fell pregnant and it was a time of rejoicing for this couple. They're finally, the, the child has, has come. But a few months into the pregnancy, uh, this, the couple got news that the, the mother, the, the woman, had a, a severe form of cancer. And the doctor said to her, you have a choice to make. Uh, you can either carry the baby to full ta- term and the baby will live, or you can start treatment now and uh, you will, the baby will die and you will live. And this amazing mother decided that she would carry the baby to full term. And so the baby was born, and a few uh, months later, this mother died. That's the exact story and message of the Bible, that Jesus came and he died for you so that you may live, so that you can know God. And so the way to embrace Jesus' vision of life, of a right relationship with God, is to say, I turn from living to myself, living for myself, God. And I right now want to trust in what Jesus has done for me. I want to trust in him alone for what he has done for me. And, and you might say, well, uh, you don't know, Pastor Tim, on what I've done. You don't know all the bad things that I've done. The great news of, of the Bible is it doesn't matter what you've done. God's forgiveness is so large that he'll forgive any sin. And you can just simply turn to him. And I'm going to give you an opportunity in a few minutes to pray a simple prayer where you can turn to God and, and trust, place your trust in Jesus if you haven't done that. So where should our security and identity come from in life? Well, we have seen today that Jesus surfaces a common source of identity and security that many people have. They, many people look to wealth for their security and identity. Then we've seen today that Jesus challenges that. He says, uh, wealth will never make you ultimately happy. It will never deal with the ultimate issues of life. And finally, we've seen that Jesus offers an alternative for living. He says, you can be in a right relationship with God, where God holds your life in his hands. You know, I started with the movie Toy Story, because Toy Story is actually a very profound movie. As I said, very profound. Um, Right at the end of the movie, as these, these toys are struggling with issues of identity and security, right at the end, Woody lifts up his boot and he sees something on the bottom of his boot. Remember what it was? He saw the name Andy written on the bottom of his boot. And he realized something. He realized he had meaning and purpose and identity because he belonged to someone. He belonged to someone. Do you realize that you belong to God? You belong to God. And you can have meaning, identity, forgiveness, security if you come back to God through what Jesus has done. I'm just going to pray a prayer now. 
And if you want to make that step for the very first time today, just pray it in your heart right where you are. You might just want to just pray this prayer along with me in your heart. You don't have to pray it out aloud. God hears our hearts, the Bible says. Lord God, I thank you that you made me. And right now, I come back to you. I turn from living life my own way. And I right now trust in what Jesus has done for me. I want you to place my life in your hands. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.